X-Ray. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbet. Let's talk about money. So a while back in an episode on retirement savings, I mentioned in passing that Social Security wasn't likely to be around by the time that folks my age hit retirement age. Um, One of our listeners, Kate, pointed out that that was a pretty sweepingly broad statement to make without diving in further. I agree. It's time for me to dive in a bit deeper on the topic of this social safety net for retirement. So Social Security is a pretty complicated topic um, and involves a lot of policy. So I'm bringing in an expert hitter for this one. I'm really happy to have John Rourke. Uh, John is a professor of economics at Reed College, where he studies a variety of issues in state and local public finance, especially in regards to taxation, Social Security and the elderly. And he's also an active amateur curler in Portland, which is obviously very important to this podcast. <laughs> um, thanks for coming in, John. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so I kind of just want to dive in. You do you do a lot of research around Social Security. I know I know that one of the papers you've written is like, should you move to a new state in order to save on taxes with your Social Security? <laughs> right, um, right, right. Because I focus on state taxes, and so one of the interesting things is the different ways that the states tax or rather don't tax mm-hmm. um, social security benefits or pensions or other sorts of things solely based on your age. Um, and it's costing us a fortune. And one of the thing, one of the interesting things is how the states are going to deal with budget crises going forward as they give away more and more of the farm to people who are 65 and older. Interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, well, one of the things we talk a lot about on this show is about the difference between pre and post savings for retirement. Um, and Kind of essentially, if you you know if you save in a Roth IRA, you might um, you you've already paid taxes on it versus a traditional IRA or a four hundred one k, then you are going to be paying taxes at the time that you pull it out. Um, and it's sort of a, a betting game, right? Yep, you know, yep, if you're yep. if you're a young person making a decision about this, you don't really know what's going to happen with taxes by the time you're retirement age. But as you get closer and closer to retirement age, you can kind of you might make the decision to relocate purely based on the state's taxation. Um, but some of these states are trying to attract retirees to their state. <laughs> yeah, which, which, which has always been one of the questions we've wondered is why, uh, <laughs> from, a, from a financial standpoint. Do they spend a lot of money, retirees? I think that's the hope. Interesting. Is that they spend a lot of money, um, but they don't really generate a lot. Yeah. So it, it's, 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 a, it's a question. They're, they're, you know, they have their own little sub-economy. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare becomes a big component right, of that, right? definitely. So, so in Oregon, where healthcare is a big part of our economy, you know, it might make sense. It might make sense. And so from that standpoint, yeah, it could work. Um, a lot of what I'm seeing in the data and my co-author has seen in the data is actually this interesting phenomenon where people will move to, like, say, Florida. You know, I'm an East Coaster originally, so that's why I think of Florida. But they move to Florida when they're young elderly, mm-hmm. spend all their money, return back home, when to be close to their kids, kids or... when they're well, if we're going to be Mormon, when they're ready yeah. to die, yeah. they go back home. Interesting. And then they become Medicare, Medicaid eligible, right. And drain the state from which they left. So right. it's not Florida who ends up having to pay for them. It's actually New York. New York loses them. They spend all their money, all the retirement money in Florida. They turn around. They're like they've got six months to live. They turn around, go back to New York to be with the family. And New York has to figure out how to pay for all that last six months, which is where. Basically, all the medical spending happens is that end-of-life care. Right, definitely. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things, right, is that um, uh, when we're planning for retirement, one of the things you factor in is how long you think you're going to live. Yep. Um, but one of the things is that if you do – if you're 
spending all your retirement money as your life goes on, eventually you're going to be below the threshold where you're, you may be below the threshold at which your assets allow you to qualify for something like Medicaid. Um, and Medicaid will often pay for this end of life care facilities. You know, and I'm I'm here to talk about people's own personal finances. So if you want to plot out for yourself and figure out, you know, how how you can master plan that, um, it, a lot of retirement is just sort of uh, playing the numbers for yourself. Um, and one of the reasons that I kind of tell folks my age to not plan on Social Security, um, and we'll dive into more yep. where there, it'll likely still be around in some form. Um, but I tell people not to plan on it because it's. So much can change between then and now, and you don't want to be stuck up a creek with no assets of your own, especially when you're in your 20s and the power of compound interest means you don't actually need to be saving huge amounts of money in order to get in order to have enough at retirement age to sustain you. Well, if you, th- if you think of the history of Social Security, the whole reason it was put in place in 1935, right, is because it was a poverty alleviation pr- program, right? It was not a, here's a retirement account that people are going to be able to live off of. Right. It, it's a social insurance program, and it's really, if you need it, it's here yeah. kind of kind of thing, right? And it's morphed over time into this, this is my money, and this is going to be my main retirement plan. And it was never designed to do that. It was designed to make sure that you didn't eat cat food when you turned 65. That, right. re- that was really the purpose. And if you think of you know what was going on in the 1930s, you can think why we put this in place. Exactly. And, 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 so, and especially because historically before then, when you got old and retired or whatever, or weren't eligible to work anymore, you lived with your family and your family took care of you until you died. And we had kind of these multi-generational households that we don't really have in the U.S. anymore. Right. Right. And then if you have World War One, wipe out the generation behind you a little bit. Yeah. Then who's going to support these old folks? And that's what was starting to happen. And so we put this in place as a way to kind of bump up and make sure that, you know, they were okay, especially with, you know, depression and everything else happening at that time. And now it's morphed into kind of some other sort of thing that people keep forgetting what it actually is. Yeah. I is So is there anything else that we should cover with Social Security? Um, I think the lessons we should take away here are we know nothing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I would say is that this is a political third rail. You saw when um, when Bush tried to think about this at all that everybody came after him right. like crazy. Um, part of this is a voting problem. Um, because the people who are more likely to vote are the people who actually get Social Security and therefore are not going to allow anything to change. Yep. Um, so until X, Y, millennials actually vote in large numbers to actually make something happen, um, we're just going to push kick the can down the road. Um, and then you're going to run into a problem eventually like Illinois. What happened in Illinois? Where Illinois doesn't have a pension, have a budget for three years, and has the biggest pe- un- unfunded pension liability in the country. Great, right? That sounds lovely. That's lovely, right? <laughs> You've seen that in Oregon because right? we're you know we're based in Oregon. We see that with PERS and what that is doing to the budget, and what that implication is down the road in terms of what we're going to do for school spending and where. In essence, your taxes. We've made all these promises. Or oh, I haven't made any of these promises, but the, politi- <laughs> politi- the politicians have made these promises on behalf of me, and behalf of you, and behalf of your listeners that we're going to pay all these pensions. Yep. This is the ticking time bomb that nobody has actually ever talked about, and is one you should have a show on this. <laughs> is eventually that bill is due, and the states can't go bankrupt. Yep. So how do they get the money? And the states can't go bankrupt. This is a, a little geeky on the policy, but states are supposed to have a balanced budget. So the you know we, well, we the, do. the federal government they're supposed to, well Illinois wasn't great at it, but uh, oh, it's, it's balanced. <laughs> it's balanced because you make different bad actuarial assumptions. Right. We're gonna get we're gonna earn ten percent a year. Yeah. No. 
But you make that assumption. If you drop that from 10 to 9.5, all of a sudden the amount of money that has to be paid in to be actuarial balance yep. is a lot. Right. And so the big deal in Oregon was going from 7.5 to 7.25. And what do we do about that? And all of a sudden it's you know $200 billion that, are being, that is lost from education funding. Yep. So as that bill comes to be owed, your taxes are going up at the state level. Right. So the one thing to keep in mind, and, I, and completely irrelevant from Social Security, is that at some point you're going to be able to make enough money to start deducting stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you can't deduct state and local taxes... Right. Right. At least, you get some, at least you get some of this back, right? So when you watch Oregon raise its rates and you're like, okay, I can deal with that because at least I get part of it back. Right. That ain't happening if they take that part away. Right. So, and the threat from the Trump administration is to take that away under tax reform. Yep. Well, we'll all just move to Washington is the plan. So all of our Oregon listeners will just move to Washington <laughs> where there's no income tax. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I guess our lessons are it's complicated. Okay. Um and, you know, from a from a from an action item perspective, so if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're kind of trying to plan for future use life, mm-hmm. how much should Social Security factor in? For me, it doesn't factor in at all. Okay. For me, it's bonus money. OK. Um, and I think everybody should treat it that way. It's bonus money. Um, it is not your primary source. Um, it should never be thought of as your primary source. And I would say nothing from the government should ever be thought of as your primary source because it can change under policy whims. And so the more you can be self-reliant, the better that is. And so that's always been kind of my motivating factor. If I get Social Security, great. Oh, wow, that would be lovely if I have it. Um, but I'm not planning on it. And worst case scenario, it means I have more money to give to something else when I'm 80. Right. Yep. I can live with that. We can spend it all on donuts or bike parts. Or, or philanthropy to your favorite organization. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or I can live with my kids. Like, you know, I right. can, there are different things I can do. And as long as I don't have to freak out about it so i i but i'm also risk averse and i also worry about these sort of things yeah. so yeah um well ev- everybody on this that listens to the show's notes i'm very risk averse so <laughs> so this is the like the way i like to wrap up every show i like yep. to ask every guest which is what is the best financial s- decision you've ever made and what is the worst oh jeez. well the best is when i was in graduate school so yeah, i know you've been hammering this on your listeners but i will do this too i was making ten thousand a year and i made sure to put two thousand a year in my roth ira in my ira That's right fabulous. which was ridiculous um, <laughs> um trying to live on ten thousand dollars in palo alto um was <laughs> wow. but but it was the early 90s so it was okay but the limit was only two thousand a year so I, I did that every year and then my last year of graduate school we came out with the roth and so i converted oh which meant I paid all the taxes up front, but my tax rate was so low because I was still a poor graduate student. But I was like, I'm going to pay this and bite the bullet. And I added probably three more years. So I've had eight years of adding, so maybe 16000 And it's grown since then. That's awesome. So it's it's my little pot of money that I don't even think about. I just I can't add to it now because I make too much. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> excuse me. But I put it away, and it's now it's worth a, a good little pit of money. And so that's nice to have. So... The fact that I, my, my parents yelled at me and said, make sure you do this. And I was like, okay, I will do this. And it, it worked. And so I, you know, my hope is that when you know, my daughter gets old enough, okay, we're opening this and we're going to start it. Um, so that was my best thing. My worst. Um, so my wife and I, back in 2006, we weren't married. We were engaged. And we were moving to Atlanta. Ooh. Um, in part because we were going to solve the four-hour commute problem that we had. So this is one of the magic things that people have is you meet somebody and it's in a completely different state and mine happened to be three states away and we're, so in, in the northeast. Four hours in the snow, not fun. So we were going to get to the same place and I'm an academic and she's a policy wonk and trying to find the right place. We ended up in Atlanta. So we're moving in 2006. And the one thing we wanted to do is we we're like, we're going to start our life finally. 
because we're both in our mid-30s. We've been renting forever. We're like, we're going to do this. So we bought a house. In Atlanta in 2006. 2006. <laughs> in a gentrifying neighborhood. And we and we violated every rule of real estate. Don't buy the best house in the neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. Like, we, we, we violated all of it, right? But the house was gorgeous, and we loved it. Um, but we also assumed we're never going to have kids, so who cares about the school district? We're going to live here forever. Who cares about that? Blah, 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 blah. So when did I move to Reed? Oh, 2000, what was that, 2010? 10? 10. Yeah. So I had to sell in 2010. Oh, that's rough. That's rough. And my at that point, I had a kid. <laughs> at that point, I had to figure out, how am I selling this house? How do I get out of this? And so the lesson learned, and I hope everybody thinks of it this way, housing is a consumption good. It is not an investment. And as long as you view it that way, housing is great. You don't have to worry about it. Yep. But don't ever view it as the thing that's going to be your nest egg. No, no. it is a consumption good. And yep. I know I now teach that all the time at Reed. Housing is consumption. And people always look at you funny. And then I'm like, because 2010 happened. Yep. And, you know, we've talked before on the show buy versus rent, but um, the most important factor in buy versus rent is not the timing of the market or, you know, you need <coughs> to build wealth using your house. The most important thing for buy versus rent is that you want to own a house and you are financially ready to do so and literally nothing else matters. Yep. You know, there's plenty of good reasons to buy a house, but your retirement plan being a house is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I mean, we could afford the house. We were, we were affording it fine. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, crap, I need to sell. And so one of the things that the house does is it limits your ability to move. Yep. And so if you're thinking about mobility or job opportunities, you want something that you can get out of quickly. So if you don't envision your job being stable or you envision I want to move somewhere else, keeping mobility is one of the big reasons to keep renting. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, breaking a lease is expensive and not fun. No one likes it. Yep. But it's a lot less expensive than even just realtors fees and possibly paying a mortgage for several months on a house while you try to sell it on the market. Well, I was scared to death I was going to be a renter, uh, be a, a landlord Ooh. from Oregon of, of property in Atlanta. <laughs> is that how long it took to... to... I got rid... I got ri well, I mean, the this, this story is twofold. Is One, we had the house under contract. My appendix decided it wanted to stay in Georgia. Ooh. So on the day that they, my, they took my appendix to leave it in Georgia, um, the contract fell through. Oh, my gosh. But my wife wouldn't tell me because I was about to lose my appendix. And so she didn't tell me that they can't, they failed. Oh, no. So we thought we were going to have to move to Portland. But then we found somebody miraculously because we just kept cutting the price. And the real estate agents didn't believe that, well, shouldn't you argue for 5000 more? No, because the cost of me holding this house for six months yep. are more than $5,000. So, yeah. no, drop it. Yep. And finally getting a real estate agent who understood that because their interests are not aligned with yours. Right, totally. Um, which people don't realize. Um, you know, got us rid of the house. So we got a second person to come in and get rid of it. And so we got rid of it right before we left. Well. Which, thank God. Because, I'm glad you got rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Were um, you, what, if you bought it in 2006, how much were you paying in interest on that? How much were we paying? Five. Five? That's not bad, though. I not mean, bad. Not bad. Not crazy. Not crazy 2007 levels. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but, you know, now I'm paying three and a quarter. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And I probably should have, re you know. Yeah, it's too late now, though. Too late now. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for coming on, John. This was great. I hope that um, I hope that folks aren't too overwhelmed by the policy. The most important thing is have your own plan. Don't let the government's plan be yours. But also, don't freak out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, uh, that wraps our show for today. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki, and I'm Lillian Kerbake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening. And until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you.
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.